It is the child in us that knows to ask, where am I going or how do I get there, is to miss the crimson red rose growing out of the crack in the sidewalk. Mm. Don't step over that treasure growing out of the crack in the sidewalk. Hi everyone and welcome to Superwoman Wellness. I'm Dr. Taz. I've made it my mission throughout my career in integrative medicine to support women in restoring their health using a blend of Eastern medical wisdom with modern science. In this show, I will guide you through different practices to find your power type and fully embody the healthiest and most passionate version of you. I'm here for you and I can't wait to get started. This is a Soul Fire production. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Superwoman Wellness, where we're determined to bring you back to your superpower self. And this time we are going to talk spirit. That's right. Your spirit, maybe thinking a little bit differently about it and the adventure. Oh my gosh. So Sandy Hart is here with me. Sandy, welcome to the show. You're an award-winning leader in the fields of women's empowerment and interfaith community building, which is a passion of mine as well. You founded the Women's Interfaith International Grassroots Organization, Sarah, the Spiritual and Religious Alliance for Hope, the morning of 9-11, an instinct to gather women of diverse faiths to protect all that they consider sacred. You spent the past 19 years as president and the public face of Sarah. You're engaged in leadership and peace interfaith and so much more. You have so many great accomplishments here. I want everyone to hear the story from you. Talk to us about your journey and how you ended up really being a champion of this inner space and what is a liminal odyssey. <laughs> Break it down for us. There's a lot there. Thank I you. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, first of all, resp- uh, responding to your comment about interfaith cooperation, collaboration, the world of interfaith. Uh, that was a calling. That was a call to action the morning of 9-11, where I saw the same thing everybody else was seeing on the news that morning and for me in California. It was um, 7.30 or so in the morning. And before my feet hit the ground, I heard gather women. Mm. And I had never heard such a broadcast before. Um, I didn't think I was spiritually inclined. I didn't have a a whole lot of time invested in anything but my children's religious upbringing because I felt like I had to give them something because I wasn't really raised in a really strict religious environment, but I wanted to give them some foundation. So we were members of our synagogue. They were going to Jewish day school. They were preparing for their bar and their bat mitzvahs. And here, all of a sudden, you know, we have this assault on the senses of what happened in 9-11. And my response was gather women. Mm. And so I'm like, what, what, where am I supposed to find the women? And by the way, he's whispering in my ear. Right. But I said, yes. Um, and before I knew it and a little bit of a story behind it, I found 11 women in my living room of diverse faith traditions. And we called ourselves Sarah as the mother of all nations. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, even though Sarah is the, the, the mother of all nations, according to the monotheistic religions, really um, open to all women of all faith traditions and non-traditions, secular mm-hmm. ethics, what have you. Just really what I was interested in knowing was who are you and what makes you um tick, you know, what informs you in your life um, and what inspires you and who inspires you? Because when we get to know somebody at that level, 
we can really work together at a community level better because our ultimate goal is to create a more safe and harmonious community. We were the, we became very quickly the mothers of the community. And so being in this realm of interfaith leadership, working around women, doing an awful lot on behalf of, of women and girls, as a matter of fact, everything we do, we always checked ourselves to make sure that we were um, conforming to our higher and our deepest value systems and everything, every measurable impact would have a uh, impact on the disproportionate impact on women and girls. So that's how we knew we were doing something right for the community if we were bet bettering situations for women and girls. Um, yeah, so that's my entryway into this world of interfaith and we are celebrating our 20 years. And it's taken me all over the world. It's opened up so many different opportunities for me personally. Yeah, I'm listening to you and, and the missions are so aligned, right? Because I also, I've lived it, but I've also firmly believed that if you can empower women and girls, you can change communities, right? And if you can empower women and girls, you can strengthen families. So, and I feel like family and community is really sort of the foundation of what our spirit needs, you know, like really what we need to be able to thrive and, and do our best, no matter how much education we have, no matter how much money we have, you know, no matter what situation we've kind of been thrust into. So, and then the interfaith thing is interesting, right? Because I am from a Islamic background, but went to Christian schools and ended up marrying a man whose family was like Hindu and Sikh and like Christian all mixed up. Right. And so found myself with like, okay, what do we do with our kids? And my dream, which is not available here, you know, where I am, but my dream has always been like, could I build an interfaith community where I want my children to be as comfortable in a church as they are in a synagogue, as they are in a mosque, as they are in a temple, because the common fabric of humanity is the same, right? It's different language, different rituals, different traditions, you know? So I haven't really succeeded in making that happen, but I'm trying. <laughs> so, um, so I'm so fascinated by your work and I would love to maybe even potentially be involved down the line, but for, for everybody who's listening and watching today, you know, you talk about something called the liminal odyssey. Can you explain that to us? Yeah. Um, and one of those things that I found myself, you know, what I found available to me and being in this world were connections and relationships that led to me hearing about this word liminal. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the only thing I knew was that it was a clunky word to say mm -hmm. and that <laughs> <laughs> no. and it took me a while to get used to it and that it means threshold. And that the place between here and there, the place between crisis and action, the place between uh, dilemma and choice. And so, for example, the morning of 9-11, you know, here is this crisis. And I found myself in a liminal space. Of course, I didn't name it yet because I hadn't heard the word for about 20 more years. Yeah. But, I, what I, but I had a moment of choice and I stepped into that moment and I made a decision to say yes, to go gathering women. Liminal is not just the space that we are in at any particular time. And it could be a moment. It could be an evolutionary growth spurt. It could be 30 years. It could be minutes. You know, it's just the space between here and there where we have a choice. So it's what we do in that space that mm -hmm. matters. Mm -hmm. And when I was writing the Liminal Odyssey, I really set out to tell a single story. 
of something that happened to me in 1982, this wild experience that my friends have been urging me to talk about for about 15 or so years. And I just didn't have enough of a story to write. You know, I know I've had all these wonderful experiences that have come from my work in interfaith, that have come from, you know, different avenues through different relationships. But this was the story that I felt compelled to write and have been urged to, but I just didn't have enough of a story to fill up a chapter, let alone a book, Mm -hmm. until I heard this word. And I sat back down and I tried to write this book again. And before I knew it, all of those 11, or I should say 11 more stories poured out of me. So I actually did have a place for those stories because now I've got some something of a contemplative framework that was developed because I understood that word liminal. Hmm. I was able to go into what was happening inside of me. What was the call? What, what happened between the call to action and choice? And how did that show up in all of my, the other stories in my life? Not only did I see them as now synchronistically connected, this really beautiful thread, really go, a gossamer threads, you know, um, but um, but really well connected, but also the power of what was at the core of making those stories really miraculous, where I had otherwise thought of them as mundane. And ah, that's an interesting story, but yeah, you know, but then so, so explain because yeah. you all of us moving towards a decision that you're able to get into the space before that decision, it sounds like, and then make it happen. Am I understanding that? You are. Okay. You are. Give, me, give us maybe an example, like a, a example of what you're talking about. Well, to better describe it first, and I will give you an example, yeah. to better describe it first, that there are certain skills that we can practice that help us prepare to slow down to the speed of, to the speed of awe and wonder of what's going on in this moment, right? Rather than react, respond, right? So um, something hits our nervous system, whether it's, you know, uh, some really bad news or, you know, a, a global crisis. How are we going to be in that moment? And what choices are we going to make to move into that direction? Some of those practices that we can put into, to, um, into use, they be, if we do them in advance, and I like the fact that you notice that it's being knowing these things before the crisis happens, before that moment comes, because the, the key to the liminal odyssey is practicing these skills, that, that those things that help us navigate through the day in advance of needing them, right? Right. Most people go running to their bookshelf to pull off a pull up a book off, right? When there's yeah. you know yeah. something that's happening. Let's not do that. Let's practice some basic simple skills first. Awareness, right? Practicing awareness. There's actual practices that we can do throughout the day. Practice questioning assumptions. Practice um paying attention to our behaviors and how we typically respond to things and look at some generational behavioral patterns. Who oh my we gosh, that's the theme today. Everyone's talking about- really? Yes, generations and ancestral patterns and right. how they influence us. That's amazing oh. that you brought that up as well. So. Well, it's that means there was a synchronicity there and there. that's another one, cultivating synchronicities. 
How important is it to pay attention to these things? So, so perhaps that's where our conversation should go into intergenerational trauma healing, because we kind of move through our world with a certain precept of the way we are, right? Of a, of a filter that we see the world in and the way we think the world sees us. And that's, this is where questioning assumptions is really, really powerful. So to summarize, really, because that's, it's a really big concept, yeah. but ultimately it's as simple as practicing awareness, paying attention to certain behavioral patterns, knowing like who you are and what you were here to do, anchoring ourselves in our divine assignment, right? And being prepared for, for anything, really. So when that crisis happens, when that moment of choice shows up for us to make, it's part of our personality. It's part of our operating system. Right. And yeah. that comes available to us in a liminal space. Hmm. And when we do that, we are living in a liminal odyssey. I love that. All right. I'm excited to talk about this next product because honestly, my daughter brought it to my attention. Most of you know, I have some tweens and teens running around this house and they're on TikTok and they were talking about athletic green so much so that my daughter wanted me to order it so I had to get in on the hype and figure out what all of this was about and honestly I'm fascinated this is good stuff so let me tell you about it athletic greens with one delicious scoop of the stuff you are absorbing 75 high quality vitamins minerals whole foods or superfoods probiotics and adaptogens to help you start your day right this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, even anti-aging. It's all the things in one simple scoop. So of course, my daughter gets me hooked on it. I start taking it and I actually miss it if I don't take it every morning. I make it a part of my morning routine because that's honestly the easiest time for me to remember stuff and mix it into some water, drink it straight. Sometimes I'll add some other of my favorite powders to it as well. But I've noticed it benefits me just with clarity of thought. I have better energy. Of course, my gut and liver health. I feel like I'm doing something for my liver when I take it. And I do recommend it. And it's so fun to watch my teenagers like this, right? Because they don't like anything. So it is something that they'll stick to, which is a bonus as well. I love this. So here's some fun health facts about it. So many of you asked me about taking a multivitamin. This is a great alternative because you're getting all-in-one nutrition in one scoop. Remember those 75 minerals. This is a small micro habit with really big benefits, supporting better sleep quality, better mental clarity, and it's one of the best things that you can do for your own self and for your own self-care. Your subscription of Athletic Greens comes with a year of supply of products based on science, including vitamin D, which is so important, especially when we've been talking about the immune system and cold and flu season, you know, over the last few months and really trying to find ways to stay healthy. In fact, the founder created Athletic Greens because he really wanted a one-stop, one-size sort of fits-all option for his own gut health and was tired of taking a, little, a lot of different pills and supplements and bottles and spending money on that. So he created Athletic Greens to really offer an all-in-one nutritional experience. You don't like following a really strict plan and you really need, you know, hey, I'm just going to do one thing. This is a way to support the gut, liver, your energy, get those minerals and micronutrients in because unfortunately our food is not as high in micronutrients as we think it is. So check this out. This is good stuff. They've got over 7,000 five-star 
reviews. It's a climate neutral certified company. It's been recommended by professional athletes, and it's even trusted by leading health experts that support projects protecting growth, including Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. They're protecting the rainforest there. And here's another fun fact about the company. In 2020, Athletic Greens donated over 1.2 million meals to kids in 2020. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially headed into the cold and flu season. It's just one scoop of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash Dr. Taz. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Dr. Taz to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So how, <laughs> how would you tell somebody out there who's trying to wrap their head around this concept? How do I practice awareness, right? How do I reach into some of these tools that you're talking about? What are, what are some ways that you've seen work for folks? Oh gosh. Well, I'll share with you what works for me and what I've had feedback that is actually, mm-hmm. you know, um, well, first of all, understand that neuroscience and pro-social psychology that supported neuroscience uh, um, has determined that we can rewire our brains, right? With yes. repetition. Yes, and yes, and yes, yes. Right. right. So we, we, more a thought travels, the same thought travels over our brain and our mind, the more it creates like a slip and slide for thoughts, right? That they just come, we know, and drive the same path to work and, and pick up the phone and call our mom at one, four o'clock in the afternoon, whatever you do on a regular basis, that's create, that's part of your subconscious because you practiced it. So practicing awareness to do the the important thing about practice is to do it in repetition. And so what I do five times a day for a count of 25 seconds for about 28 to 30 days, it's all it took for me to make this into a habit to now I don't even have to think about it automatically happens. I go into the restroom five times a day. That's something we all typically do. We typically go to the bathroom five times a day. So there's a place you go. You step over the threshold into the bathroom. There's a time to stop and think. And I use body awareness to practice awareness. So you're really accomplishing two things here, but body awareness. Okay, stop in those 25 seconds and think about, okay, what's going on in my body right now? How am I feeling? Where am I holding energy? Oh, I didn't even realize I had a kink in my neck or, oh, my stomach you know, is either hungry or full or or whatever. Just whatever you feel right now in your body has never stopped feeling that way. You just are now noticing it. So Mm -hmm. practice that five times a day, practicing what's going on in your body. And it doesn't have to be the bathroom. Maybe you get in and out of your car. Every time you get in and out of your car, do, do this, whatever you do regularly. And so what happens is not only are we training our brains to be aware when the moment comes, right? Because something magical takes over um, where it's time, where our subconscious knows this is a moment where I should be aware, not just going into the bathroom or paying attention in your body, but anytime it's time to be aware, you'll find yourself coming into an awareness and slowing down to what's going on. And I just suggest trying it 
just try it and you'll see how, how it works in, in all different arenas, not just in your body awareness, but body awareness is another one too. So it's a two for practice. I love that body awareness five times a day, 28 to 30 seconds for a month, 28 days. Roughly. That's it. Okay. And watch what you are aware of. Isn't it fascinating? I'm sure you've already, I'm sure you've already thought through this, how so many religions have these ritualistic traditions that kind of force you to do this. Like in Islam, you're supposed to pray. I don't do this, but you're supposed to pray five times a day, right? Um, You know, in Judaism, I know they've got their own uh, traditions too, where you have to check out in the day, you know, and it's already kind of built in to the day and to the rhythm of the day. And we've gotten so far away from that now. I just think it's all so fascinating. And where does, I'm curious to your perspective as you've done this work with different religions, what is the interfaith component of this journey? It's connect that for us. Yeah. Well, um, I, I really appreciate you mentioning praying five times a day and the rituals here, because what what interfaith work has done for me is it's allowed me to deepen the roots of my own tradition. It's afforded me the opportunity to go, oh, I love how Muslims pray. It's really a yoga-esque. It is, yes, very much, yeah. And, and there's reverence involved and, and so much more. So I'm getting full body chills just thinking about it because I've been in many mosques before mm-hmm. where I sat in the back of the room and watched women pray. Um, and, and it's it's stunning to watch and the community that's created. So I've, I've learned how to pay close attention to what others do and see how that informs me what what is um, perhaps my Jewish perspective of it? What can I adapt as my own as well? Mm-hmm. Uh, it has by watching others. It has it. It has um, informed me of my traditions. And, yeah, it's really deepened my roots in in that way. And everyone I talk to who is you know our Sarah group. You know, we've been together for twenty years. Well, I think we'd all agree to that. That's fascinating. The Sarah group, does it just, does it meet? Are there chapters or is it one organization or? Yeah, it, we, it, it's changed over the years for the first, probably 10 or 15 years, more, more of the first 10 years, we were very active in Orange County mm-hmm. as a collective group. Everything we did, we went out and did together and we met every single month and we met in typically in living rooms. And we tried to do that. At first we met in public places just because we wanted to be safe and um, mm-hmm. happy. But once we developed a relationship, we came into each other's homes. And um, and anywhere from 12 to 100 people, women would show up. And a lot of our, our events that we did in our monthly meetings were community gatherings too, right? But our, but our sacred circles were women only where we came and we sat in circle and we always started with an agenda and we always threw it out, you know, and, you know, there was laughter, there was crying, there was silence, there was loud, you know, eruptions of cheers. I mean, every meeting was very different, always good food, especially my Middle Eastern sisters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love to have meetings in my home because they always left behind the best food, but <laughs> It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah love- no, it was really the most important thing we could have we could do as a, as women of our community show up in our different regalia, whether we were wearing hijabs or or, or how or, or however we were dressed in colors or what have you. 
rabbis with yarmulkes sitting on a panel together at the university, um, showing up um, on, with our weekend of community service, galvanizing thousands out to hundreds of service projects. We were the mothers of the community, but I think that you don't have to be a part of a large group of women to show up in your community in that way. As a matter of fact, I think every man and woman has a not just a sacred responsibility, but a privilege right now to show up in that integrity of who we are, living our living our highest vision of a value system, our value yeah. system. Have you seen sort of this interfaith movement spread across the country or not so much? Oh, it's a glo- it's global. As a matter of fact, yeah. Um, the United Religions Initiative is one of the, is the largest grassroots interfaith organization um, in the world. I can't tell you how many countries they're in right now. The Parliament of the World's Religions. I serve on the Women's Task Force of the Parliament of the World's Religions. Um, that's been around for over a hundred and something years. Wow. Yeah, and the next one's okay. coming up. Oh, my goodness. You, you are going to have to come to the next Parliament of the World's Religions. I want to. In August. Just don't even question. Just get there. It is uh, four or five days of, of heaven on earth, 400 workshops, plenaries, you know, yeah. workshops, uh, demonstrations, rituals, an assault on the senses again, but in a good way. I'm going to have to be there. I yeah, for feel sure. that for sure. Yeah. All right. I do want to get back to the liminal odyssey before we run out of time. And maybe an example of when that was relevant to something that happened maybe in your life or in the life of, of somebody, someone that you've worked with. Um, maybe give us that example for folks listening and watching today. You know, chapter 12 is actually a really good example because this book really did write me. And I, like I said, I started started out to tell one story. <clears throat> and um, it turned out that this experience that I had in Auschwitz, I was working on a project at Auschwitz to create a peace institute there adjacent to the grounds of Auschwitz. So we were right there at the death camps. And I had this experience where I saw this beautiful oak tree at the back end of Birkenau, which is the adjacent death camp, this big park park area, not park, but a big grass area, this gorgeous tree. And I knew she had to be about a hundred years old. So I knew that this tree had been through the Holocaust and I'm a tree hugger, <laughs> self-proclaimed tree hugger. I admit it and proud of it. And I went up and I laid a hug on this beautiful tree and I was in a liminal space. I sat there with my arms around her trunk. And I took a breath and I, I'm listening, right? Because reverent listening is another one of the skills that I talk about. And all of a sudden I heard what sounded like raindrops behind me. And I looked down and she had poured raindrops on me. As a matter of fact, the working title of the book was uh, Acorn Rain in Birkenau. Mm. And had I not slow down in that liminal space and recognize the moment of what I, you know, wrapping, I, I, I hug trees all the time. <laughs> um, and I usually get an answer like, thank you. Um, but I definitely, um, I definitely knew that this was a time to stop and slow down to the speed of on wonder what was going on. What had I just experienced? Cause this was at the end of our tour at the, at the, at the, concentration camp and what was I to do with all this information and what I got was the seed this which I typically have it right on my desk but this acorn 
And I stepped into the liminal odyssey and started examining what am I supposed to do with this? What does this mean? What's the synchronicity? Then I started employing all of the skills because the important thing about knowing about the skills is that they work collectively. They work as a cohesive unit, which means when you are working on awareness and questioning assumptions, you're also aware of intergenerational trauma. You're also aware of mindfulness. You're also presented with the trust frequency. I'm naming off all these skills. And, but collectively they come at you like a, like a thunderclap. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I re I found my divine assignment. Mm -hmm. So here I was in this moment of, it wasn't exactly a crisis. It wasn't a heartbreak or a punch in the stomach from right. someone who betrayed me, but it was a liminal moment where I learned to slow down, listen, make something of this, pick up a seed. Anybody else could have just said, ah, so some raindrops, some right. acorns fell, right. big deal. No, this was monumentous for me. This was miraculous for me. Wow. And then what I picked up was um, my divine assignment and what I'm here to do. What's your divine assignment? It's to be the sacred gardener of that seed and to bring everyone to that understanding that we're all entrusted with, with a, a, a seed that's encoded in it intelligence and wisdom that can forest 10,000 oak trees mm. at the potential we have resting in the palm of our hand if we are holding that seed. We all have that within us. Only you can do what you can do. Only I can do what I can do. Go do that. Where do your passions meet the needs in the world? Therein lies your calling. That's Aristotle, right? So what's your calling? Go to it. Clean up what doesn't serve you anymore through awareness, through questioning assumptions? Look at your generational trauma. My book are these stories, and the stories came first. And then these, the, then each skill started going, oh, I was, I was showing up going, oh, I went, oh, wow, this is what was prevalent at that moment. 12 skills, 12 stories, um, and um, then took them out of the book and set them aside and go, wow, collectively they're their own super skill. <laughs> wow. And I have seen transformation. My husband's seen transformation. <laughs> it's quite remarkable. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I just come alive because I know that this stuff works and it's easy. It's just it's easy stuff. And yeah. it ultimately it brings you to your joy. It brings you to your bliss. Well, that is the hero's journey, right? You mentioned yeah. the hero's journey. Talk to us about that. Is it getting these 12 skills in kind of our sort of own personal space, our own personal wiring? You know, what is that journey? Yeah. And how's well, it relate to what you're doing? You know, thank you. Um, when I wrote the, when I, when these stories poured out of me and I stepped back and I said, perhaps this is a, hero's journey. Let me look at the mile markers of this contemplative template, right? Uh, the call to action. I, I knew it was time to get out of Dodge and, and, and go out seeking for it so I could return back better for my community and my world. You know, just think of any George Lucas movie, right? That's the hero's journey. You meet your mentors, you meet your villains, you, you think you're, you think you found the mountaintop and up, you slip right down and and then you come into your personal evolutionary growth and uh, ultimately return or what's also considered a resurrection. Um, and so I thought, yeah, you know, yes, there, there are these patterns that resemble that, but my story doesn't go in a timeline. And I don't think anybody's does. 
I think it zigs and it zags. Mm-hmm. And I think there, I think we can have, you know, a, a journey of the sort in a moment's time and in our entire lifetime or in a week. So the hero's journey was just missing the mark for me. And then I I realized what was missing. What was missing is nothing about the spaces in between. What led us from here to there? Were we really paying attention to those villains and those those, um, alligators and those mentors who are on our path really are synchronistically divine? They're really there to help us reach our divine assignment. Mm. So the the hero's journey is this template that for me wasn't enough. Not even the Shiro's journey, which I went and learned about, isn't enough. Mm-hmm. The liminal Odyssey is an expansion on that, where you can look at your life not as a journey. That's why it's called an Odyssey. Ah. Because it you, we, we're going to the great unknown. We don't know where we're going, but we know we're on our way. That's what an Odyssey provides us, you know. The, mechanism to get there and ultimately the result is us just showing up in our integrity wow goodness gracious powerful stuff oh my god a lot i i want to digest this i really want to get my head and my hands around this because i haven't spent enough time certainly my personality is not that way i'm you know, I'm moving a lot, moving very quickly. And so slowing down to the speed of on wonder has to be practiced because it's not very natural, but I might be missing my divine assignment, right? <laughs> There's a beautiful, beautiful sentence and a more beautiful poem. May I share it with you real quick? Yes. 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 It's from Lisa Lee. She's a unity minister out of Las Vegas. Good friend of mine. She and her husband. Um, it is the child in us that knows to ask, where am I going or how do I get there is to miss the crimson red rose growing out of the crack in the sidewalk. Mm, I love that. Sometimes you just have to follow the yes, follow your bliss. Yeah. Don't step over that treasure growing out of the crack in the sidewalk. Go into it and see what it means for you. I think this is how spirit, God, however you identify a higher calling angels, what have you. I think this is how we are spoken to. Mm, Amazing stuff. I have, I have goosebumps listening to this. Thank you for taking time out today to join us. If someone wants their hands on the book, like I do, what's the best way for them to get it? Liminalodyssey.com is the website. You can do everything there. There's Amazon. You can go to Barnes and Noble, wherever you do your online book shopping. But if you go through the website and use the promo code alchemy, there's a little gift inside the book and also free shipping and a little discount. So it kind of works out better than Amazon. But if you like Amazon or whatever you like to do, that's fine too. Um, You can reach me there. We have conversations there as well. All kinds of good stuff. I love it. Well, thank you so much for taking time out today to join us and talk about this very important, interesting topic. I think a lot of people will slow down for a second and maybe think about the synchronicities and so much that we have to offer. So thank you again. I appreciate it. Wow. A lot on intergenerational trauma and ancestral trauma and how that might be impacting what we're doing, how we're doing, when we're doing it. It's been a theme of today's podcast sessions for sure. Hope you love this episode. Again, it may seem a little out there, but remember it's all connected. You know that our health, our chemistry, our will, and our spirit combine together to help us accomplish whatever our divine mission may be. 
All right, I'll see you guys next time. 